Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Thank you, Letty. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that your word speaks to us, that it challenges us. And I pray, Father God, that as we open up uh, your word today and we look at several scriptures uh, from the Bible, Lord, that we will hear your voice in the midst of everything that you're saying. Lord, for us collectively as church family, Lord, will you speak to us? And Lord, for us individually, I pray, Father God, that we will hear your voice and that you will speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that you have been blessed so far from this sermon series that we have started together a few weeks ago, looking really at what it means for us to be church as family and to walk this journey of family together, looking at some of the practical things that that entails. I hope that you've engaged with us as we've uh, opened this up on a Sunday morning and you've got into it in your life groups as well. And I hope that what it has done for you is it has encouraged you to find your place once again in the family of God here at Hope Baptist Church. It's been such a tumultuous couple of years, hasn't it? It's almost felt like for the church being scattered that family has almost got lost in the midst of it. We've tried, haven't we? We've kept connected through things like Zoom and Facebook Lives and all of these sort of things, but nevertheless, it's not quite been the same. And the goal for looking at this together over these next couple of months is really to bring back that sense of family, that sense of community together. And didn't Zoe do a great job last week as she opened up this topic of what it means to support one another in prayer? I think sometimes... When we think about praying for one another and supporting one another in prayer, we almost take it as read, don't we, or a bit of a given, that people know that I'm praying for them, that people know that I'm with them, that people know that I'm supporting them in that way. But the reality is, often, unless we tell people that we're supporting them, unless we tell people that we're praying for them and that we're with them, it's so easy, isn't it, to feel isolated and so easy to feel alone as a result of that. And as we continue this journey together today looking at what it means to be church as family. I want to even get even more practical today than where we've been in the past few weeks. And I want to look together today at what it means to be a generous family. Jesus calls you and he calls me to a life of generosity. You are blessed to be a blessing. God has called us to be generous in every single walk of our life, with our time, with our talents, with our money, with our possessions. And you know, generally, when someone stands at the front of a church and they begin to speak about this idea of generosity, instantly our reaction can be, oh, here we go again, the pastor is asking us 
to give more money? Does he not realize that fuel prices have just rocketed? Does he not realize that my job is really unsteady and uncertain at the moment? Does he not realize they're about to put the taxes up as well? And here he is asking for more money. And maybe when you think about generosity, and in particular think about people preaching on generosity, you instantly think of the televangelist who stands on your telly on God TV or whatever it is, and he sort of says, well, if you give, if you give, then God's going to bless you abundantly over and above anything that you could ever imagine. All of your wildest dreams will come true. You'll get that jet plane that you've been waiting for all your life. There is no doubt, is there, that there have been some charlatans that when you talk about finances, when you talk about giving, when you talk about generosity, who exploits the message of Scripture for their personal gain. But just because there's been some bad teaching on this stuff doesn't mean that the Bible is silent on it. In fact, Jesus spoke about finance more than he spoke about heaven and hell. In fact, 25% of Jesus' teaching in Scripture involves money and finance. Why is Jesus so bothered about this stuff? Jesus is so bothered about this stuff because he is in the business of our hearts. And the danger is that as humans, we can set our hearts on making sure we're comfortable and everything in our life is okay. We can set our hearts on making sure we have enough money in the bank to survive. We can set our hearts on making sure that we are financially stable throughout our life. And the problem with that is, is that when our hearts follow our money, our hearts become poisoned. Jesus doesn't want your money, he wants your heart. Think about it for a moment. The God of the entire universe, the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the God who brought everything into being, he is so concerned and so hard up that he needs that money you put into the offering every single week. Is that really who God is? The Bible tells us that where your treasure is, your heart is also. That is the business that Jesus is in. He wants your heart. And to understand the principle from Scripture about generosity, we have to put it in the context of a generous God. You know, you may not realize it, but the very fact that we are here today and we have air to breathe, that we have food on our table, the very fact that we have clothes on our back, it's all because of him. In fact, I want to suggest today, whether you are in this building or watching online and you are a believer in Jesus, or maybe you even describe yourself as a total and utter atheist, one thing is for certain, whether you realize it or not, day by day, you experience something of the generosity of God. You see, before you were even created, God had this plan to rescue you from every single bad move that you did, from every single bad and wrong thought, from every single evil deed that you have committed. He left his throne in glory. He made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a servant for you, that you and I might be free. And when we speak about generosity, particularly when we begin to talk about things like financial generosity, that's the context that we have to look through. Jesus wants your heart so much so that he was willing to give up everything in order to obtain it. And I don't know about you, but often for me, when it comes to generosity, and when we talk about generosity in context of the church family, 
The times that I have felt most part of the church family is when I have experienced the generosity of the church family. I remember when I left London City Mission to become a youth worker down in Brixham, we took up this role, and I think it's fair to say that I had a pretty rubbish salary when we got down there. And we had small children at the time, and looking back on that time, I honestly have no idea how financially we survived that time. But what I do remember is the generosity of people. There was someone, and I still to this day have no clue who this person was, who for months and months on end would put an envelope through our door every so often with a £50 note in it, just saying, I just want to bless you, Luke, in order to help you and everything that's going on in your life. Now, I don't know who that person was, but I do know that it often came at the times in my life where we were really, really struggling. And I can look back on a number of stories like that where God has used people in order to bless us financially and in other ways. And as a result of that, I've known that I'm part of the church family. I know that God cares for me. And I wonder if you can point to those sort of stories in your own life as well. Having a right understanding, though, of generosity has a far bigger effect than simply merely blessing one another. It helps us to align our hearts and our purposes with the purposes of God, both for us as a wider church family and for the building up of the kingdom here on earth. And it's important to remember that everything that we own, everything that we own, we don't actually own. Haggai chapter 2 And verse 8 says this, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Well, we might turn around and say, I've worked really hard for my stuff. I went to college and I went to university and I've put in the hard hours and the hard graft. I've started from the bottom in my company and I've worked my way up to a point where I have built this for myself. I've earned my stuff. That might be true, and if it is true, I want to say well done for doing all that you've done in order to make your life the way it is. But even then, we're reminded in Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18 this, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to you and to your ancestors as it is today. It's quite easy, isn't it? When we start to talk about things like this and we start to talk about finance, giving, and generosity, to think to ourselves, well, that's just for the rich people among us. That's just for the people who can afford to be generous. That's just for the people who have a little bit more security in their life. I'm in a hard-up situation right now. I don't earn a lot of money. But I want to suggest today that the concept of giving, the concept of generosity, it's not just for the super-rich. It's not even just for the middle classes who might have a little bit more disposable income. You don't have to be Bill Gates in order to be generous. The concept of giving is for everyone. The family of God functions at its best when we all adopt a posture of generosity. And we see that in scripture, don't we? Last year, if you remember, we spent some time looking at Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 together. We opened this passage up together over a number of weeks. And what we see in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 is the effects of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost on the church. And one of the things that we see there is that everyone sold their possessions in order to give to those who had needs. And we read these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 6. And now, brothers and sisters... 
We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded for us to be, for the privilege of sharing in the Lord's service to the Lord's people. What an amazing verse that is. They urgently pleaded, please let us give, let us be generous. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a, be made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. And this morning, I want to suggest 10 reasons why, as Christians, we should be the most generous people on earth and why the family of God functions best when we are a generous people. Be honest, I wonder how many of you groaned a little bit inside when I said this is a 10-point sermon today. Honestly, they're going to be short. You're going to have to keep up with me, but it's important to understand and get this concept of what God, I believe, is saying to us as the church. Number one, giving obeys God's command. The Old Testament is full of instructions about how we should give, how much we should give, what we should give, and how we should do it. When we look at the New Testament, there's less in the New Testament about this concept of giving, but nevertheless, it is there throughout the scriptures in the New Testament too. And we'll explore a few of those in a bit. But sometimes Christians have used a kind of lack of New Testament giving verses in order to say, well, you know, giving and all of that, that's an Old Testament principle. We don't have to worry about that now because we're no longer under the law, but we're under grace. And that is completely true. We are totally and utterly under grace. And as a result, no one from this church will ever pressure you into knowing or asking you how much you give or putting pressure on you to give. We are under grace. But we were talking about this in our partners course last week a little bit. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And when Jesus fulfills the law, what he does is he actually upgrades the law. Let me give you some examples. Jesus said, you have heard it said in your hearts, do not murder. But I am telling you, if anyone looks at someone with evil intent and murderous thoughts, you have committed murder in your hearts. Jesus upgrades the law. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I'm telling you, if you look at another person with lustful intent, you've committed adultery in your heart. He doesn't just fulfill the law, he upgrades it. Jesus came and he gave everything for us. If that's the case, what else can we give to him but everything that we can back? Number two, giving submits to Christ's lordship. Every act of obedience that we do in our lives recognizes that there is a higher authority in our lives. And there are some areas, I guess, in our lives, if we're being truly honest, that we find it quite easy to obey God about, don't we? I am hoping that there is no one who is sitting in this room right now or watching online who is sitting here thinking, right, this afternoon I'm going to go out and I'm going to commit murder. 
Because the reality is we know that's not a good idea and a good thing to do. We find it easy to obey these things that we see in Scripture. But for many people, if we're honest, for all of us, there are some areas of our life we find it hard to submit to Christ's lordship in the same way. There are areas in our life we find it hard to say, God, take it all. And for, often, for a lot of us, often that is our finances. You know, they say the last thing for a Christian to get baptized is often his wallet. Because we like to have control of our life. We like to have control of what is going to happen. And in being generous with our finances, what we end up saying is, God, I know that you've got my back. I know that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know that you dress the lilies of the field, so I am trusting you, even though I can't see what's going to happen, I am trusting you with my future and putting my plans into your hands. Number three, we're called to give because when we give, it exhibits something of God's heart. The context of giving has to be done in the context of a generous God, which I talked about earlier, who lavishes his gifts upon us. James 1.17 says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. As image bearers of Jesus Christ, we are called to show to the world, something of the large heart of God. And you know, the larger our hearts towards others, the larger the picture we paint of the character of God. You know, it was a beautiful thing the other week, wasn't it? If you're part of our Facebook community page, when someone put up a, a post on it and said, do you know what, there's a family in need, they need a room redecorated, and then suddenly, bam, 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 loads of people from the church said, yeah, we want to give into that, and we want to help with that, and we want to support that, and as a result, that family who were in need, who we don't know as a church, suddenly had what they needed. It was a beautiful thing. And I want to say, if you're here today and you want to do some more of that, go and speak to Bronya at the end, because there's someone on the soup front at the moment, that people in the soup front are looking to support in a, in a similar way, and she can tell you the story of that. But it, it just expresses something, doesn't it, of the heart of God and who he is when his people are willing to be generous with what they have. Number four, giving illustrates to a world in need something of God's salvation. As I mentioned earlier, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And when Paul wanted to encourage the church in Corinth to be generous, what did he do? He pointed to Jesus. So we read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Something people say to me time and time again is, do you know what, when it comes to sharing my faith, I really struggle. I really struggle to have conversations with people and to talk to people about Jesus and about the difference that he makes in my life. So often it feels just so awkward and so unnatural. You know, one of the easiest ways to share your faith is to become a generous person. Because when we become generous, it speaks of the nature of God to a world who often is just concerned about looking after number one. It speaks to a world of saying, do you know what, I want to make sure you're okay because I believe in a God who gave everything 
for you. When we give sacrificially, sometimes when we give even painfully, in a small way, we preach the gospel message. In a small way, we point people to a God who cares for them. And then it leads to natural conversations with those around us. We don't have to be awkward, it doesn't have to be forced, but by the way that we act and the way that we love and the way that we're generous with what God has given us, ultimately it speaks of him. Number five, giving trusts God's provision. You know, when it comes to finances and it comes to generosity, often the thing which is the biggest deterrent for us is fear, isn't it? What if I give and then I don't have enough? What if I give to God and suddenly I am going to find myself in need? Giving sacrificially and often uncomfortably means that we express our faith in God who says this, do not worry about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, has added a single hour to his lifespan? When we become generous, do you know what? We increase our capacity to see a miracle in our lives. When we're willing to be generous with what God has given us, We open ourselves up to God doing the miraculous, not just in other people's lives, but in our life too. I wonder if you have known that for yourself, where you have given sacrificially and uncomfortably, and then you've seen God move. Because it's in that act of giving, what we say is, God, I am not going to trust in my own provision, but I am trusting in the fact that you will provide for me. Number six, giving widens God's smile. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 and 7 says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, it delights the heart of God when his people open their hearts and open their hands in order to give to see the advancement of the gospel. And we, therefore, are called not just to be generous, but we're called to be cheerful about it too. You know, the term cheerful, which is used here in Corinthians, can be translated hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. It pleases the heart of God when we give. Why? Because giving cheerfully, it shows that we really get it. It shows that we're not just doing it out of compulsion. It shows that we understand the bigger picture and the bigger mission that God has called us to, that we have a part to play as the family of God for the advancement of his kingdom. And that brings me on to number seven. Giving advances his kingdom here on earth. Many of us, let's be honest, over the years have contributed to Apple, haven't we, by buying their products. I'm preaching here with my notes on an Apple iPad. I've got my iPhone here as well, uh, monitoring what's going on online. We've all done it. We've all uh, got these products, and we've advanced the, the kingdom of Apple here on earth by buying into their stuff. But think about it for a moment. What happens when we do that with God, and we do that with the church? God provides for his people, through his people, to reach 
other people. The reality is companies like Apple eventually will go bust, they'll go out of business, they'll go insignificant. But when we invest eternally into the things of God, we invest eternally into the things of God. By your generosity and your willingness to give, ultimately that investment can lead to eternal consequences. People coming to know Jesus for themselves. Missionaries being sent all over the world. Missionaries being uh, supported here in this country through things like home mission and things like that as well. When we are generous, we see the advancement of God's kingdom here on earth. Number eight, giving promotes God's sanctification. Jesus said this, if anyone desires to come after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And by giving in a financial sense, especially when it pains us, what it does is it makes this statement that God, not my will be done, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I choose, Lord God, this day to lay aside my own wants and my own desires for your glory. And as a result, What it does is it breaks the back of that sinful hold that things like money and finances and stuff can have over us. It breaks the back of that mentality which says at its core, it's all about me. Number nine, giving testifies to God's power. Again, one of the best witnessing tools, I believe, is the power of generosity. If you were an investor, you wouldn't invest your finances in a company which was about to go And in a similar way, choosing to be a people who are generous says to a world who is in so desperate need of God that there must be something in this if you are willing to give for this. You don't place your money where it is going to be uh, lost. You place your money in those things of eternal value. So once again, what it does is it shows people the power of God in our life. And finally, number 10, giving praises God's character. Giving in the right spirit and with the right attitude is an act of worship. It says, do you know, louder than any song that we sing, you have given it all for me. So in return, I'm going to give back to you. Money is not my master. Jesus is my master. And you know, true worship is a costly exercise. David, when he went to buy a field, Uh, In order to sacrifice to the Lord, he went to the guy who owns the field and he says, I want to sacrifice to the Lord this day. And the guy who owned the field in the Old Testament, he says, well, if it's for the Lord, just take the field, you can have it. And David's response, I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which cost me nothing. True worship to God is more than about any song that we sing on a Sunday morning. It's about stepping out and stepping up and living the life that Jesus calls us to live. So what is my point this morning? Well, coming back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, we read this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The point of this morning is not to press you into giving more. Your giving is between you and God. And God may well challenge you off the back of this morning to maybe be more generous with your finances, to start tithing or to restart tithing if you have stopped in recent weeks or months. But no one from this church will ever badger you into doing that. That is between you and God. The point of the message this morning is simply this. 
as the people of God, as the family of God together, we all have a part to play for the building up and the blessing of the kingdom. So the challenge is this. What is your next step on this journey of generosity? Maybe, like I said, God is calling you to start giving on a regular basis here at the church. Maybe he's calling you to be more generous in other areas of your life as well. Maybe God is putting someone on your heart today that he wants you to bless materially. Maybe you don't know who that person might be. And God wants to reveal that to you this morning. But what I would say is whatever God is saying to you and to me this morning on a personal basis is don't ignore that still, small voice. If we're going to be family together, if we're going to be a family on mission together, if we're going to be a family who does life together, truly does life together, we need to understand that we need to have a generous spirit and a generous heart towards one another and towards a God who says, I have given everything for you. As the old hymn writer writes, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I'm going to invite the bands to come back up. And we're going to watch a, a little video together now. And under the chairs this morning, you may have noticed something which looks like a five-pound note. And in a minute, we're going to respond to God. And I'd love us to just respond in some silence this morning and some, just in time of reflection. On the back of that five-pound note, there are two questions this morning. One of those questions is, who might God be calling me to be generous to this morning? And I want to pray that God's going to put some people on your heart, that this week you can just go and bless. Wouldn't it be great this week, church family, if we all found someone to bless this week? doesn't necessarily have to be financially. It can be in any kind of way. But what would, what would we look like as church family this week if we, if we chose someone that we were going to bless this week in order to build them up, to build the church up, and to build the kingdom up? And the second question is, what is God calling me to do in order to be more generous in my life on a, on a more daily basis? And like I said, for some people, that might be, it's time for me to start giving, it's time for me to commit. For some people, it might be it's time for me to open my house up and be generous and invite people around. I don't know what it is for you, but we're going we're gonna to respond and we're going to think about these things. And I'd encourage you to take this away. If you've got a pen, you can write down on, on these notes maybe the answers to those questions. Take it away and look at that and let it be a reminder this week for those opportunities to bless this week. We're going to watch a video and then the band are going to lead us in a song. And then we'll spend some time in quiet reflection and we'll think about these things and we'll pray together this morning. With only two coins left, in the presence of the rich, she took a humble breath. Surrendering her copper along with fear of lack, she understood this seed she'd sown would return far greater back. Or what of the disciples who gathered up their wealth? selling their possessions to care for kingdom health. With extravagance they shared with anyone in need, they understood this seed they'd sown could see so many freed. Seeds, humble or grand, sometimes watered with tears of sorrow, hold within them the potential of unhindered promise tomorrow. 
the same eyes that wept tears of sacrifice and loss, or sing through tears of joy, knowing that the cost is overshadowed by the harvest that they have the joy to reap, the fruit of the divine, not the worldly and the cheap. For the joy set before him, Jesus Christ endured the cross, watering that seed of freedom with the precious blood he lost. Now this is the eternal image of God's wildly generous heart. As the tree of salvation grows heavenwards from that sacrificial start, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping will not see their seed destroyed. They will run into the garden with the father and the artist and with songs of victory upon their lips will reap the heaven's harvest. One of the things which keeps us from being a generous people is the fear of lack. So we're going to respond in song now by reminding ourselves of the faithfulness of God. So if you're in the room, I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able. And let's respond and let's declare these words together this morning. That God is faithful. That he can be trusted. And that he is there to meet our needs. Let's worship God together.